the NFL is trying to steal Christmas. Plus, later we'll get a look into the world of winter sports with U.S. Ski and Snowboard CEO Sophie Goldschmidt. It's Wednesday, December 20th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. The NFL is seeing just how many nationally televised games we can handle. Joining me now to discuss is Front Office Sports newsletter co-author Eric Fisher. Welcome, Eric. Hello. So the NFL has seven national broadcasts this week, one on Thursday, two on Saturday, one on Sunday night, and three on Monday, which happens to be Christmas. What's the significance of this? Yeah, this is a... a really unprecedented confluence of having seven standalone games in a single week of NFL play. Um, just the nature of the calendar, the way it fell, where we are in the season with having the Saturday games and then the way Christmas falls this year. Um, you know, what we're hearing from league sources, uh, you really even couldn't construct the scenario with more than this. And again, it's such a, um, unique beast of how the calendar fell but you know having one standalone game after another over a period of three four days like this uh, you know we're into some new territory here really interesting stuff yeah and to what degree do you see this as you know new initiatives new ambitions from the league and or to what degree is it just you know christmas fell on the monday and uh they they can have games on saturday because of the college football schedule is it just sort of coincidence or or is the nfl trying new things here some of both. Uh, some of uh, what we're talking about here is, again, by nature of where we are in the season um, and the calendar and, again, having those Saturday games now that the college football regular season is over. But also some of this speaks to the league's heightened ambitions for Christmas, that this has been a holiday that traditionally has been the province of the NBA, and the NBA will have their quintuple header again on Monday. Uh, but this is now a second year in a row of uh, – big slate of games from the NFL on Christmas. And um, much like previous conversations we've had around Black Friday, this is another major holiday that the NFL feels it can be a very meaningful part of. Yeah, I mean, you look at the ratings it gets on Thanksgiving and, you know, some of the biggest for any broadcast of the year. And yeah, you start to understand how they could be thinking, you know, it's another day when people are at home with their families or, uh, you know, just kind of sitting around enjoying enjoying some some time. Yeah, usually at their own house. So, yeah, Christmas does seem like a logical target for them. You know, and obviously they're not going to you know, cede that territory to the NBA just because they're the ones who uh, traditionally um, you know, made it, made a holiday out of that. Um, is, is, and so you said that, uh, this is kind of, you know, as much as we could imagine, you know, seven, seven national, nationally televised games, um, in, in a single week. Is, is that, uh, yeah. It, it, do you think this is the, in fact, the limit, um, for what we're going to see realistically within the construct of these current rights contracts that, you know, in a purely theoretical sense, you could sort of carve up the schedule in all sorts of weird ways and have all sorts of different standalone games. But again, some of this is a function of how the rights contracts are constructed and CBS and Fox have their regional packages and so forth. And so to sort of take more inventory away from these other places and put it on new, newly created national windows and any sort of theoretical construct we could come up with, 
that that requires a, a contractual rejiggering here. And so and we're in the midst of long run, long running deals that go into the early 2030s here. So, um, again, I think we're in this particular notion at, at sort of the, the theoretical limit here. Yeah, right. And of course, most of the time, the NFL can't broadcast on Saturday. And actually, I just recently learned that dates back to a, an actual U.S. federal law around antitrust and um uh, you know, yeah, when- and there's legal things, FCC things. There's a whole bunch of complications in here, but I'd say really one of the driving things again is the the nature of how the rights are carved up in the current contracts. And and just to finish this up here, um, a- any indications we have around the NFL's you know its future plans for for next year or later this year in terms of how it wants to just keep its huge momentum going? Yeah, so. As we've discussed a lot here, both in print and on on the podcast, um, their international profile is growing and growing very quickly. And there's been a new measure um, put in place at the the recent um, at league meetings earlier this month to significantly expand the number of international games beginning in 2025 that will be played. But as part of this, um, they've already had. Uh, plans to go to Brazil and rather than stacking a lot of these international games sort of mid-season starting maybe around week five and going to maybe around week 10 something like that they may want to start with a bang here and there has been some discussion about potentially putting that new Brazil game right at week one and making an international contest right as part of the season kickoff next year yeah very interesting Eric Fisher thanks so much for joining us always a pleasure we're into the winter sports season, and up next, I spoke to president and CEO of U.S. Ski and Snowboard, Sophie Goldschmidt. We spoke about her growing organization, the coming Winter Olympics, and how that whole industry is adjusting to a changing climate. That conversation is coming up next. I am joined now by Sophie Goldschmidt, president and CEO of U.S. Ski and Snowboard. Welcome, Sophie. Hi there. Yeah, great to be on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great to have you. So yeah, why don't you just start by um, telling us uh, what led you to taking the role you have now at USC and Snowboard that you've had since 2021? Um, yeah, well, I have been in sports my whole career. I've been uh, very fortunate to have some amazing roles that have uh, covered tennis, basketball, surfing, rugby, um, and a few things in between. Um, and I was approached about this opportunity just over a couple of years ago. Um, and I thought there was, yeah, a great chance to really further elevate um, the amazing athletes and sports within our purview. Um, I'm a passionate skier um, and had been to Park City a few times and thought it would be a great place to live as well. So really for both professional and personal reasons, it was just the, the right role at the right time. And uh, yeah, haven't looked back since really. It's been a, a fantastic couple of years. And just to orient us, what's the purview of U.S. Ski and Snowboard? What do you guys do? So we are a national governing body. Um, We look after 10 different snow sports um, from the most grassroots level up to the best in the world. So unlike other national governing bodies, um, in our sports, our athletes compete on a World Cup schedule. So often we're thought of as maybe just um, focusing on the Olympics or um, events like that. But for our athletes, actually, week in, week out during the snow sports season, they're competing against the best athletes from other countries in events basically every weekend. I mean, on any given weekend, we can have um, six, seven, eight, nine events going on. Um, and we fully fund and support the athletes 
competing at that level. Um, and then really everything that kind of builds up to that. So um, young boys and girls putting on the skis or a snowboard for the first time, um, managing that through the club process, through the regional development programs that, that we oversee right up to the World Cup level. So um, it's one of the reasons I love the job. We're involved really in all aspects and the whole ecosystem, obviously with the support from a lot of partners um, at the grassroots level, the clubs and academies and um, universities, colleges, um, other stakeholders are managing a lot of that development. Um, but it's great to be able to see literally from the earliest stage right up to those that you know are dominating in, in their sport and everything that goes with that. Obviously, with our sports, there's a big safety component. There's the coaching and volunteer aspect, which is absolutely critical. Um, so we oversee the program that certifies different coaches, um, helps put different volunteer initiatives together. Um, so, yeah, it's, um, the breadth of it you know, makes it an exciting challenge and there's always something going on. Yeah. And maybe along those lines, we saw during the pandemic, their uh, outdoor sports had a boom. So golf, cycling, pickleball, you know, a big explosion in, in people doing those activities. Uh, was, was there a similar story with winter sports? Yeah, the um, participation rates for winter sports have been um, very positive. Um, like you said, I mean, COVID sort of accelerated that with people wanting to get outdoors and wanting to try and get healthy, given what we were all battling. Um, but I think in general, you've seen that the world has become more about adventure and experiences and participation and seeing beautiful places. And what better place to do that than in snowy mountains and just some of the beautiful resorts and locations that our sports take place in. So, yeah, even pre-COVID, um, uh, trends were very, very positive, and that, that's continued, which is look, great for us as an organisation. It's great for participation, and ultimately the more people that are participating in our sports, that helps drive performance. It means we get more talent in the pipeline and ultimately you know, helps lead to, to success. And this is maybe a silly question, but uh, in terms of growing the brands of, of your athletes, you know, Chloe Kim, Michaela Schifrin, um, and some of them break through like, like those two, but it strikes me as a challenge that when they are doing what they do best, they have big jackets on, they usually have goggles on. You can't really see them. Like if you watch them ski down a mountain and then had to pick them out of a lineup, uh, that might be very challenging. Um, I, I'm wondering if, if that's, an actual issue or, or, um, or, you know, have you taken any steps to kind of work around that or, you know, you just not really, <laughs> you can, you can manage without. Yeah, look, I think um, making them as visually recognizable as possible definitely helps. And I think, look, there's a lot of showed off shoulder programming and around them competing um, before they're in the gate, after they're in the gate or before they get in the pipe, you know, they've got their goggles off. Yes, they're wearing a helmet, but you still get to see a lot of them. And it's creating other opportunities. We know fans care a lot about the behind the scenes. What are they doing in their free time? How are they training? Um, getting different interview opportunities with them. So we try to show them in a lot of different lights. And I think um, they're becoming more and more recognizable. I feel like quite a few of our athletes have really cut through this year. But look, we're looking for, for more opportunities. We want to kind of punch above our weight um, and make them as available as, as possible to the right platforms so that they, they can become more known and more celebrated because they certainly deserve it. 
And jumping back to the Olympics, so we've got the 2026 Games coming up in Italy. Uh, the Milan area apparently doesn't have an Olympic-level track for bobsled and skeleton, a couple other events. Uh, now Lake Placid in New York has offered to host those events, as have China and a few other uh, European countries. What do you think about having certain events on a you know, different country and maybe a different continent from where the main games are? Look, I think it's different for every kind of home games. And these events, as we've seen, cost a huge amount. You know, they can take significant investment. And off the back of COVID and other challenges, I think, you know, some of the the cities are struggling to, to foot the bill. And so for them to look creatively and be you know, kind of practical about, you know, what other locations might make sense that can still kind of fit certain criteria, but mean that they can save money and invest in other legacy projects. I think, you know, I think it makes a lot of a lot of sense. Look, selfishly for the US, it would be great to host um, some uh, of the events over here. Um, look, it's tough for me to speculate because I'm not involved in the uh, the Italy um, hosting committee and don't know, you know, what kind of process they're going um, through. But look, if it, if it made sense for them and there was an opportunity that we in the US could help support with some of our facilities that are already in place, then, you know, why not consider it? Um, look, I think looking ahead to 2034 and the very likely um, scenario that Salt Lake is going to host 34, given that, you know, we're the city that's gone into um, dialogue with the IOC. I think that's one of the beauty of, of that situation. Um, I mean, talk about a legacy from 2002. The the venues are all still in place. I'm based in Park City. Our teams use those facilities on a daily um, basis. Um, and it's kind of the perfect outcome. So to host, you know, over 30 years later and still be able to use those facilities and create another legacy. Yes, they'll need a little bit of improvement, a bit of painting, et cetera. Um, but I think that's a great situation. And hopefully, look, the IOC can learn from that. I mean, they're considering, I think, various different setups and ways of managing um, both summer and winter game bids moving forward um, because the economic investment has just become so significant and is you know now cost prohibitive for some cities so um look salt lake's in a great place for 34 and we'll see what cortina and milan end up doing in in 26 with some of the venues that they still have yet to determine and speaking of all that um there's there's talk that you know given that the the climate is heating up and it's getting harder to host olympic level games um at, at a lot of venues um you know the, the ioc has discussed um, having a rotating, um, you know, set of set of host cities for the Winter Olympics. I'm just curious about your thoughts on that, and just um, yeah, ha- how you kind of continue to host winter sports in a warming world. Yeah, I've heard um, the same um, idea mentioned, and I think um, yeah, I can see it making a lot of sense. Look, climate change is is real. Um, temperatures are definitely rising. Um, you wouldn't always necessarily think it with. Uh, how uh, it's impacting snowfall. I mean, last year we had record snow levels and you kind of um, couldn't believe how much powder you were uh, were getting throughout the season. Europe struggled. This year, Europe's had a crazy amount of snow already in parts of the US. So look, with climate change, it doesn't necessarily always mean less snow. Sometimes, you know, more storms are actually having the opposite effect. Having said that, it's clearly concerning. And I think to choose locations 
um, that from an environmental perspective and just consistency standpoint are more likely to have colder temperatures and be able to have consistent snow and cold weather conditions make sense for the Olympics and to rotate um, venues so that there's less investment on multiple locations would seem like a sensible thing to explore as well. So um, yeah, I'm curious like you to, to see where it ends up, but I think it's definitely the right thing to be looking at. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Sophie Goldschmidt, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Thank you for having me. That's it for today. This show is nominated for the award of Best Sports Business Podcast by the Sports Podcast Group. So head over to sportspodcastgroup.com, find the sports business section, and vote for Front Office Sports today. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.